to another Wednesday. We have a heckler tonight. Those are always the best nights. <laughs> Especially shout, when we're not at all shouting, flustered trying shouting. to get shut down. It's 801. Where's my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, Frogs of War podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Trebosser. And it is December 13th, which means we are one week away from the early signing period for college football, which is pretty cool. And we are like four and a half days removed from Christel Conte no longer Who? being, yeah, right? CDC? What? The Center for Disease Control? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. It's fitting that I guess he's in, well, maybe he should have been in College Station or Lubbock. Yikes. Bring the fire right out the gate. Just not holding back tonight. We are the Frogs War Podcast. We're a university pub tonight. We're the pint night on this wonderful Wednesday night is the raw winter warmer. It's a good one. I've had many raw winter warmers. Not tonight specifically, but... Yeah, it's early. Since I've been of legal drinking age. Sure. Raw winter warmer has warmed my, my soul. It's good beer. Good place to be, university pub. You should come out. Every night of the week. Always. Or maybe study for finals a little bit, too, because it is finals week. It is week. finals week. That's why it's so yeah, so it's slow in here tonight. Yeah, it's That's so why. Well, we're not doing the Facebook feed tonight because Melissa broke the, the tripod. And also, you forgot the cord that plugs in the mic. Mostly, though, <laughs> Melissa, <laughs> Melissa broke the tripod. So you're only listening to this, probably, if it's like Thursday morning on your commute, unless you are one heckler. Just one I heckler. Know. It's good. So... Uh, but yeah, let's start uh, with Chris Del Conte going to Texas. Uh, news broke on Saturday afternoon, much to the shock of most of Horn Frog Nation and and to the dismay, I think of most of Horn, most. most. <laughs> there were some people who were not upset. No, no. That Del Conte is gone. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, <laughs> Saturday afternoon, Chris Del Conte uh, stopped being the athletic director for TCU, and started being the athletic director for the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah, and, and it sounds like the way that went down was a little bit of a surprise, not just to TCU fans, but the, the actual TCU administrative community as well. Yeah. Um, it caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, there was a great article today, um, I think it was Carlos Mendez in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, wrote about how Jim Schlossnagel said that just two weeks ago, he had recommended Jeremiah Donati, the new TCU athletic director, for the Houston job, same yeah. position at Houston, and was pushing Houston's baseball coach to get that guy an interview. How glad we are that Houston didn't listen because we could be in a much different position today than, than we are because we had the right guy already on campus, already a part of the TCU family, and trained under Chris Del Conte for the last several years. Yeah, you know, it was uh, the fact that that story came out because I. It, Yes, this was a surprise to TCU fans. It was a surprise to the administration. But I feel like you and I had even said it on a podcast in recent months that if Del Conte was going to leave, we felt like Texas would be a good landing spot just because of the size of the donor base, the size of the university overall, the projects that need to be done down there, not only with rebuilding some of the the athletic programs, but just facilities-wise, some of the upgrades that need to be taken on down there, fundraising, that kind of stuff, we thought that that would be a good spot for him to land. Well, Maybe we just built that up in our own heads because when the, the announcement came on Saturday, for me, I was like, oh, so he, he finally took the job. Like, in yeah. my mind, I had almost just assumed that that was going to be his eventual landing spot from here. Well, and, and I think, that, you know, we had that conversation knowing a couple things about, about Del Conte. Number one, that he loves the challenge. 
Yeah. Right. And if you look at his career progression and where he started and what he what he walked into TCU as, it's clear that he's a builder. You sure. know, he wants to come in and he wants to lay a foundation and he wants to accomplish big things. And, you know, like you said afterwards, he looked around at the TCU landscape and thought, what else can I do here? Yeah. He's got likely a lifer at football and Gary Patterson. He's got potentially a lifer in basketball and Jamie Dixon. He's got a baseball coach that he's going to want real bad here in a couple of years uh, probably, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. But, but could very well be a lifer also. He's set up an alum in the volleyball program, set up an alum in the tennis program. Mm-hmm. He has a, a track coach that's been here for quite I mean, Heck of a women's is, basketball coach. Yeah, heck of a like women's people, basketball like, coach. Like he's done it all. Everything is set up. And, and so we know that he likes to challenge and that he looked at what was ahead of him. And other than needing trades, $100 million for the – TCU football upgrades, which seem to be chump chains around here lately. Yeah. There weren't a lot of challenges left. And the second thing we know about Chris Del Conte is he likes the big stage and he likes to be in front of people and he likes an audience and not in a way that made him unbearable, at least in our opinion, mm-hmm. um, but, but in a way that he was – there's not many jobs bigger than the Texas athletic director. There's not. And if you've been aren't. at TCU for seven years or whatever it's been now – and you've accomplished everything you set out to accomplish. You got the Frogs to Power 5 Conference. You con- constructed a remodel of both the baseball stadium, the basketball sta- arena, and the football stadium, all paid in front. Yeah. And you've hired lifetime-level coaches across the board. What else is there to do? I-, I can't blame him for wanting to see to take on the next big challenge, especially at a job like Texas, which is unquestionably one of the two or three biggest jobs in the country. Yeah. I mean, they're realistically – in any profession almost, but it seems to be exacerbated in you know college athletics and in the pros as well. There are three ways that you can leave a place. You can get fired because you sucked or because you wore out your welcome. You can retire uh, or you can do so well at your job that you take on another challenge because there's nothing left to do. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Del Conte falls into that third category. If he had been terrible here, if he had run Gary Patterson off, if he had never tried to rebuild the basketball program, if Schlossnagel was actually the head coach at Texas right now, then, you know, Del Conte wouldn't have just left on Saturday. He would have been run out of town two years ago, three years ago now. So the fact that we're in such a good position as a university at this point because of the things that he's done, I think that softens the blow of him going. And it definitely softens the blow of him going to Texas because of the way the TCU's athletic program has achieved so much more than the Texas athletic program has in the last six, at, at minimum yeah. six years. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at just football. TCU is 5-1 and one against Texas since joining the Big 12 in football. And, and what's the average margin of victory? It's something like 30, like 30 a, points? a million points, uh, give or take. So. Uh, no. they've, they've beaten them by 100 points over the last four years, which is ridiculous. And then you have a, a basketball program that is on the rise so quickly that they beat Texas both times they played last year. They have a baseball team that has just absolutely run Texas and you know, pretty much been one of the most dominant teams in the country for as long as Schloss has been here. And like you said, there's not much else to do. He, I mean, he fundraised over, what, $250 million for, yeah. athletic, for athletic builds? In cash. Yeah, like straight up no loans. Baylor, I'm looking at you with McLean Stadium. No loans for the football stadium. No loans for the basketball stadium. No loans for any of the stuff on the baseball field. I mean, the guy did literally everything. And yet some people still were not satisfied or had a personal vendetta or something and 
were saying very nasty things yeah. about Chris Del Conte on Twitter. Very nasty. It's like, okay, like maybe you have a personal beef with the guy. Maybe, I don't know. And, I don't and know. you know, we're, we're not sitting here and saying maybe there's no validity to why. Sure. And, and without knowing the entirety of people's experiences, I'm not going to say that there's no scorn deserved. Right. But my, like, there's a time and a place. And, yeah, I, I think there's a context too. And, and I understand, you know, that nobody's legacy is so big that, you know, they should become. Invincible? Like, invincible, yeah, or like you can't criticize them because Del Conte's time here was totally far from perfect. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of frustrations uh, from fans around ticket pricing, around availability parking, of tickets. Yeah, parking. parking. I mean, you know, I've uh, gone rounds with them on parking Club, before, club yeah. level has been a major sure. point of contention ever since the new stadium has been built. And now, you know, the addition of club level on the east side probably doesn't have people feeling really good uh, about some of the things there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, fan engagement has been, you know, something that has been TCU has struggled with yeah. ever since I've been a sure. student here. Uh, and Del Conte did a little bit to improve that. But, you know, a guy dressed like a cowboy shouting at the 50-yard line before a football game is, you know, not exactly ideal fan engagement, sure. I think, before a football game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he definitely wasn't a perfect athletic director. No, there's but, no such but thing. <laughs> but there's no such thing, first of all. So if our expectations are that high, we need to need, need to take a step back and take a deep breath and do a paper bag. Second of all, uh, he did everything that he could have possibly done for sure. this university. And and so, you know, to air your grievances is one thing, um, but to do it completely out of context and, 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 you know, going all in like that, which I saw five or six people doing. Yeah. People calling him a traitor. People saying, good riddance, where's the loyalty, all this other stuff. There's I was like, no loyalty in athletics. Dude was here for nine yeah. years. That is a lifetime compared to where, how long some athletic directors have been yeah. around. I mean, think, you want to talk about loyalty for a second. Let's talk about the guy that he's replacing at Texas, Mike Perrin. Was there for 20 months. Nobody ever talked about... You know, the fact that they were actively looking for another AD. I know that he was the interim, technically, for 20 His months. His contract didn't expire until 2018, though. No right. one expected this like, move to happen nobody, now. Nobody was talking about him being one foot out the door. Nobody was talking about him doing a horrible job. I mean, he hired Tom Herman. What else did you want from him? Hired Shaka Smart, hired, didn't he? Or uh, was that? Uh, that might have been the guy right before. But either way. Steve Patterson. Ooh, buddy. Ooh. That guy deserved to be fired. Let's yeah. be real. But... Uh, you know, so let's talk about loyalty from a university perspective yeah. for a second here, and to, and to say that TCU was loyal to CDC for nine years, and CDC was loyal for nine years back. I think that's really where the story needs to stop. Well, and, and we have to realize as TCU fans, we have been ridiculously spoiled with Gary Patterson. Yes. I mean, you look at at Patterson, how long he's been at TCU, and all that he's accomplished. When he had so many opportunities to leave. Yep. And you compare that to even a Nick Saban, who was at LSU. Went to the Dolphins, bailed on them, uh-huh. went to LSU's, one of their greatest rivals in Alabama. And, yeah, he's been there for a long time, but it's because I think, I mean, he, I think he got so many write-in votes in the election in Alabama last night. They said it had an <laughs> impact on it. It did. Yeah, which is insane. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a different – loyalty isn't a thing. I mean, you look at Tom Herman. You know, look at all these coaches that, that jump from the – look at Chad Morris. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't 
You can never deny a person an opportunity to pursue a higher position or a higher salary. Yeah. We would all want to take those same interviews if given the opportunity to do so in our respective careers. That's uh-huh. how the world works. And I'm never going to begrudge Chris Del Conte for taking one of the two, three, two or three biggest jobs in the sport. Um, I will be eternally grateful for what he did to TCU. He had a huge role. Um, it, it appears from the Texas side maybe a slightly overstated role, but a huge role nonetheless in getting TCU into the Big 12. He had a huge role in keeping Gary Patterson, keeping Jim Schlossnagel, and bringing in Jamie Dixon, among other great coaches across uh, across the TCU athletics landscape. And he left the Frogs in the best possible position for a guy who comes in, will have some things to address, will have some opportunities to put his stamp on the program, but won't have to make any major moves leading into 2018. And I think that what, what we all hope to see from Jeremiah Donati is more emphasis on the fan engagement, more emphasis on the experience, on the fans that, that do show up week in and week out. Um, you know, he's a little bit younger. He's a sports agent, so he has a, a former sports agent or legal guy in sports. So he has a different perspective on things, and it'll be interesting to see how he takes some of those soft spots in Del Conte's resume and hopefully strengthen the, strengthens them as part of his resume and part of his TCU legacy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, it's going to be good for everyone, especially, you know, when realignment happens. Yeah, well, and, and that's – yeah. I mean, I think that leads into the other great point is TCU, more than anything, needed an, uh, an ally in Texas. Yes. And assuming that Del Conte leaves with no bad blood, and I see no reason to think he would have, we have now gotten our greatest ally that we could possibly have at the best possible place to have him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's – you've said it all. But let's stop talking about the old athletic director. Yeah. Because he's not our AD anymore. No. Let's talk about Jeremiah Donati for a second. Jeremiah was and is a, a horned frog. frog. Uh, did you see the fake Twitter account that's popped yes. up, by the way? Yes. I don't know how I feel about it. Like, come on, do we really need an athletic director parody account? I don't think so. But at the same time, dude's RTing like all of our stuff, so keep sure. it up. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're fans. Go for it. Um, but Jeremiah Donati is 38, first of all. Still 30? I thought he was I think 40. he's like late 30s. I think he's 40. Oh, okay. I could be wrong on that. Either I just way. Him to be older than me. Either way, he's like one of the youngest athletic directors, if not the youngest athletic director in the Big 12 right now. It's ridiculous. Um, but he has spent the last four years as the associate athletic director and associate vice chancellor. Um, for TCU, kind of like you said, Chris Del Conte's right-hand man, the number two guy, uh, a guy who a lot of people have said this is Donati is the guy who Del Conte was grooming to be yes. uh, an athletic director, uh, and so the fact that he was able to step in in this position in a place that he's called home since 2011, when he was hired as the executive director of the Frog Club, uh, is is really really cool thing for him. And he talked a lot on his, uh, uh, during his press conference on Tuesday or Monday afternoon uh, about. You know, the, his path to TCU, essentially, and, and the, the welcome that he got here and the acceptance that he got here because he suffered some personal tragedy right when he got in the door, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and the love and the comfort that he felt surrounded by, uh, it, like, pretty much immediately when he got here, uh, he said attributed uh, to him sticking around this long. And, to, you know, he says he calls this place home. He, he said he had a really good quote. He says, you know, Gary Patterson says this place grew him up. He said, you can say the same thing about me, too. Like, this place is home for me. Uh, and that's a really cool thing to hear 
from a guy who just stepped in as your AD? Of course, he's going to say all the right things and try to do all of the right things, but it sounds sincere from him. Well, and, and, and you know, we all give credence to the Frog Fam all the time, you yeah. know, but every time somebody comes in, it, you don't see people come into TCU and be like, ah, oh, these guys were never good to us. Right. <laughs> oh, these people didn't really care about us. These guys were jerks. Cool. That's why I'm hanging around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but so he's... Uh, he's had a major hand in, in fundraising since he's been here. He was a major player in acquiring the funds for uh, the $164 million renovations to the Carter. He was he came in on the back end of that and really helped kind of close out that fundraising project. Uh, he's been, you know, I think pretty much the guy coordinating this $100 million renovation for the east side, and now he absolutely is the guy. And he was uh, a major player in the $70 million transformation of Daniel Meyer into the, the Shali. You've got all of the additions to Lepton Stadium. All of the things that we have attributed to Del Conte, Donati had a major hand in, at least from the fundraising side of things. Uh, and, and before he was here, he was uh, an agent and a representative um, at uh, Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, which is a major sports agency out in L.A. And so he has contact, a contract negotiation background. He's got uh, you know experience in dealing with uh, coaches and players and all of that kind of stuff. And he's a major, major player in fundraising here for the last six years of his of his life. So, you know, realistically, people are worried probably that, oh, well, we didn't do a major search and it would have been nice to hire someone with experience and blah, blah, blah. But when you look at it, when you look at his resume, there really wasn't any point. I mean, there really wasn't any need to go outside of, of Donati to go outside and look for someone new. Especially when you've got guys like Brett McMurphy suggesting that Jeff Long be the athletic director here. I don't understand why we didn't go for Jeff Long. I mean, Did at least bring the tweet? guy in for an interview. Did you see my tweet about it? <laughs> no, I didn't. I said I would rather sit on a cactus for eternity than have Jeff Long be our athletic director. I'll drink to that. So, hallelujah that I don't have to sit on a cactus for eternity. That well, would suck. Yeah, that would suck having really to do that while eating bad. a barbecue-covered T-shirt and uh, the one We'll get to talent. that. There's a question yeah. about that. We'll get to that <laughs> the in the question portion. people will not portion. let it go. That's fine. They shouldn't. They they're good accountability. people. They're being accountability buddies, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I will say that my initial thought uh, when they made a move so quickly, we pretty much knew by, by Saturday that Donati was being the, the lead guy considered, and we knew by Sunday it yeah. basically leaked that he was the guy. And my initial reaction was, man, I kind of wish we'd, we'd done a national search here. This has got to be an attractive job to pretty much anybody out there, you know, not, not already at a massive program. But the more I read about him, the more that I looked into his history and who he was as a person and as a professional, the more I was like, you know what? This seems like the absolute right fit. The coaches are behind him. And, if, mm -hmm. frankly, if Schlossnagel, Dixon, and Patterson want this guy as the athletic director, then I am 100% on board with him being the athletic director. In my opinion, certainly matters. Yes, it does. 100% it matters all the time. Yep. Yep. Hey, well, that's – a big thing that has happened in TCU's landscape here over the last couple of days, but it's not the only massive thing going. And the other thing happening right now is a heck of a lot more fun to talk about. You're getting really, really a lot better at these segues. I, you know, you're I've been doing, working on them. I sit there great. in the bathroom and I, and I practice in the shower. It's great. Okay. Is that too much information? Uh, maybe. Maybe a little bit. I'm loopy. It's been a day, man. Probably. I tell you. Uh, yeah. So TCU basketball. The thing played with the good. round orange ball and it's the Schulmeyer. It is. They are very, very good. And I know you and I have had a chance to watch them in person pretty much every game this season. Yeah. Most every game. You stayed up like a true fan. 
and watch them uh, play in L.A. at like 4 a.m. in the morning. And I was I'd so tired out the and next day. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it. Um, and so I think we, we really have a good grasp on who this team is. And, and every time I want to look back and say, I don't want to get my hopes up. I keep getting my hopes up because I think this team is the real deal. This is a legit program that can go out and win a lot of games over the next couple of months. I think so. Uh, you know, John Rothstein is a CBS Sports basketball like analyst, um, and he tweeted, I think after TCU's win over SMU, calling the Frogs the most complete team in the Big 12 at that moment. Yeah. Which, you know, Kansas is coming off of a couple losses. You've got West Virginia that's dropped a game. Uh, is the only undefeated team in the Big 12. They're only one of six remaining undefeated teams at the time of us recording this podcast. Uh, and so it's not like a total stretch for him to be able to say that. But if you watch this team, he's not wrong that it's a really complete and well-balanced team. I would say that they haven't put a complete game together quite yet. Yeah. But once they do, they're going to be an incredible force in Big 12 conference play. I, did, I wrote a post. Ooh, excuse me. Um, the Shiner cheer is delicious, but bubbly. <laughs> um, I, I wrote a post on Frogs of War as 10 takeaways from TCU's 10-0 and start. And one of the things that I noticed is that, and this is just sort of like you Google one stat and you have this, so it's not like I did any major research here, but TCU is the third best scoring team in the Big 12 right now. They're averaging yeah. just over 87 points a game, and that's right behind Oklahoma and Kansas. Like in the same, in the same you know, venue is Oklahoma and Kansas as far as how many points they're scoring per game. And they're doing that because they're shooting 53% from the floor as a team, which is third best in the country. It's insane. I mean, when you're shooting over – and, and we saw um, Tim Jankovic, uh, the SMU head coach, kind of, you know, using TCU's uh, shooting as an excuse for why SMU lost that game uh, in his postgame conference uh, after that. Where he was like, you know, when your team shoots over 50% from three-pointers, there's not much you can do. Well, TCU's just been doing that pretty much every game this year. Uh, you know, you have them shooting from the from three-point range over 43% as a team, which is eighth best in the country. They're shooting 53%, like I said, from the floor, which is third best in the country. And they have four players, Vlad, Bain, Hamdi, and Kenny Hustle. They're shooting over 60% from the floor this season. You have four players that are shooting over 60%. And one of them is a guy who really is taking shots from at least 15, 16 feet out yeah. most of the time in Bain. And you've got Kenrich Williams, who he's mixing in threes more than the normal bear. So those guys are shooting 60% from the floor, and they're shooting from all over the floor. The, the ability to space on this team and the ability to dish the ball out, like you know, Jalen Fisher's averaging over six assists a game. The offensive efficiency is tremendous, and if they can carry that into Big 12 play, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. One of the things that I wrote in this post was that if they, if they can put complete games together and if they can continue this level of offensive play, the defense needs to pick it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if they can do those things, uh, there's no reason that this team wouldn't be able to at least finish second oh, in the absolutely. Big 12. Well, and, you know, and that's a ridiculous thing to think. It's a ridiculous thing to think about. Uh, you know, when you, you talk about being the most complete team, I think that, that there's not a lot of teams you can argue are more complete than TCU. It doesn't mean they're the best team. Right. But it does mean that they have the most opportunity and the highest ceiling, possibly, of any team in the conference. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the defense. So the offensive numbers are just insane. Uh, one of my favorite defensive stats for TCU is that they are gathering nearly 78% of defensive rebounds. Yes. Which is 
just obscene. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are giving up a lot of points. But, you know, in basketball is a game that I love. It's a game I've been involved yeah. with since I was four. It's a game I've coached since I was, you know, 16. And so it's something I have a lot of experience with. And what I've noticed with Jamie Dixon's defensive philosophy they're not going to give up layups inside, and they're not going to give up a lot of transition baskets. They're going to really pack the paint. They have everybody sprinting back on defense, yeah. and they are giving up a lot of uncontested three-pointers, and teams are hitting those. You're playing the percentages there. You're, you're playing chance, and I think that it's a smart philosophy for this team that does rebound on the defensive end of the ball so well, yeah. even when it is a long rebound off a three-pointer. And so mm-hmm. his, his thing is let's dare other teams to beat us from outside because he's confident that they can match teams shot for shot, and why wouldn't he be confident of that? Yeah. And try to give, keep other teams from getting the easy ones inside. Some of that's going to even out over time. Um, some t- couple teams have come in. Like USD came in and just shot the lights out against TC yeah. from deep especially in the first half. And a lot of teams are doing it in that first half and really struggling in the second half as they wear down because of the incredible depth that the Frogs do have. Um, I think they're going to have to make some alterations once you get into Big 12 play because you're going to have teams that can really shoot it well from outside. Mm-hmm. But for now, against the teams that they're playing, the competition level that they face and the makeup of those teams, it's absolutely the right philosophy. It just hasn't generated the stops that you would expect to get from a veteran team like this. It also doesn't help that the best defensive guard that TCU has, according to Jamie Dixon, is Alex Robinson, has missed two games and been gimpy for two more. Yeah. So I think a lot of this will even out. Their defense is going to have to be better. They really just aren't rotating quite like they should be for the speed that they have. But again, Desmond Bain's only a sophomore. Jalen Fisher's only a sophomore. Ahmed Hamdi's only been here for a couple months. Quat Nuoy is, is really learning the speed of the collegiate game. These guys are going to get better on that end of the floor. And if they keep up even at 75% of what they're doing on offense – going to be a team not a lot of people want to play especially in here in fort worth yeah i agree with that and you know it helps your defensive philosophy when you've got a wing player that can rebound like kenrich williams can and the dude's averaging a double double with 14 points and 10 boards a game it's one of the elite rebounders in college basketball again this year and somehow it feels like he's even gotten better yeah like i didn't think that a guy who had 19 double doubles last season could actually get better at what he does but he's a freak like there's no like if, if anybody lives into their nickname better than Kenny Hustle, I don't know who it is, and I'm calling, I'm going to call you a liar if you try to suggest someone because like the guy is all over the court all of the time. He's the heart and soul of this team. You saw a perfect example of his like mental toughness and composure, which translates to the rest of the team in that SMU game when he was form tackled on a breakaway. And what did he do? He got up, he walked to the TCU bench. Other guys were talking and running their mouth. He pulled a couple of them back. He got back to the side to the, to the to the bench. Like the guy's composure, mental toughness, and just his freakish athleticism on the court is like the perfect guy for a Jamie Dixon team who does all of these things that you you just described, especially he, on the defensive end of the ball. He's Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. He's not Kawhi Leonard. Right. But he's in the mold of Kawhi Leonard. And if you remember when Kawhi was um, at San Diego State. When he was murdering us every yeah, year when right. we were in the Mountain West. But, yeah. but he wasn't thought of as like a top flight NBA prospect. No. He was a 3 and D guy. And the Kenrick was The Spurs not, got him with like the 22nd yeah. pick in the first and round. And people thought they reached. But they were the Spurs. So everyone kind of thought that they knew what they were talking about. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think Williams is near the defender that Kawhi is. But he certainly has the ability to be so. He's quick enough. He's got long arms. He moves his feet well. He's fundamentally sound. He's yeah. 
probably a better rebounder at this stage if you compare them in stages of their career. Uh, he, he's developed that three-point shot that needed improvement, and he's developed a shot overall where he really is a threat to score from anywhere on the court. He's got a good post game. He's a mismatch for teams inside because of his quickness. He's a mismatch for teams outside because of his size and strength. So he really is just a – he's going to be – a late first round to mid second round pick. He's going to get drafted by somebody like the Spurs, and he's going to go on to play ten years in the league. I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I he's got a chance to be the first Horn Frog drafted since Lee Nalen in 1999. He, he will absolutely be drafted. Probably late second round. I think. I think he's going to. If he continues this play, some smart enterprising team is going to pick him up. You're not going to be able to get him at 50. Somebody's going to go grab him in the mid to late 40s, and it's probably going to be the Spurs. 76ers. Or the Philadelphia 76ers. Trust the process. Imagine Ken, Kenrich playing against or uh, playing with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I mean, he's, he's an unselfish guy that can still drop 25 They would just be like, hey, just go out there, play balls to the wall, rebound 10 yeah. boards a game, and we'll get you a couple breakaway dunks. Yeah. Like, here we go. Yeah. I, he's he's the kind of guy that you want to be your seventh. Man. I'll tell you what, wherever he ends up in the league, because I, I I am extremely confident that he's going to be playing somewhere in the yes. NBA next year. Uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of that team now because yeah. of what he's done for this program, and also just because of the kind of character the guy has. Yeah. Like that, I couldn't you, it could game. not happen to a better guy. Yeah, he's great. We're, we're you know, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because CCU has only played ten games this year, but Williams, I think he's already cemented his legacy. Oh, absolutely. With the frogs. Absolutely. And, and to come back from some of the severe injuries that he did with those knee injuries that he had early on in his career here, I mean, the guy is just he, he wasn't it all. He wasn't a top-flight recruit. He wasn't somebody that had a lot of offers. Yeah. He didn't have a ton of offers coming out of junior college. He came to the right program where he got to be the man as, as a sophomore. Well, it would have been the man as a sophomore. Went Before through his the knee injuries. did the worst yeah. thing he and, could possibly And then do. got completely developed by the absolute right guy because – he has little similarities to Dewan Blair and Aaron Gray, yeah. and some of those guys that were underappreciated kids coming into college, but had huge junior and senior years and vaulted themselves into NBA careers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Like, does his emergence happen if Trent Johnson is still the head coach here? I, I think. Like, that, how much of it is talent versus development? I, I think it's probably a lot. The different, the biggest difference for me is that if he's getting double doubles on a team that wins five games. He's probably not getting credit. He's getting stat stuffer type thing. Gotcha. Like, but oh, when yeah, okay. Yeah, but when yeah, he's yeah. getting double-doubles on a team that is hopefully going to be contending for the Big 12 title going into February, you start to look and say he's a linchpin of a really good team. He takes a good team to great when he's playing well. And I think that, again, we're 10 games into the season. We haven't played a lot of big-name opponents. The Big 12 schedule is going to tell us so much more about this team. But at the end of the day, Kendrick Williams has proven for the last 18 months that he is a great player. He's a great college player. He is a, a great leader for this team. And there's really – you can't put a ceiling on him because every time you do, he goes crashing through it. Yeah. Well, you know, we're really high on TCU. A lot of people are. He's, they're ranked 14th in the country. There's one person, though. Nah. Who isn't very high on TCU. There's a man – in this world, who did not have 10-0 TCU ranked in his latest AP ballot. They've only beat two ranked teams. One. This man didn't rank TCU, but he ranked Rhode Island. They're good. 5-3 Rhode Island. They're he good. ranked Notre Dame, who's holding on to a loss from Ball State this year. He ranked Arizona, who has some good wins, but also lost... Three games in a row, including a game to SMU. 
And Rhode Island, by the way, has lost to Nevada. That is, of course, Seth Davis. Who? Seth Davis. He's a bad man. Yeah, he didn't rank TCU. Like, not in the top 25 at all. And so I tweeted at him from the Frogs War account. I said, hey, like, explain yourself, please. And I said it nicer than that. I was like, hey, I noticed that you didn't have TCU in your ballot this week. Like, what's up with that? And he responded... And I don't know if he was responding to some... Uh, there were a lot of comments on that tweet. Yeah. I, I don't know if he was responding to us or to someone else, but he said, did Arizona beat Texas A&M or did I dream that? It's like, yeah. But what does that have to do with 5-3 and three Rhode Island being ranked and 10-0 and TCU being left out in the cold right now? And, you know, in college basketball, like, rankings... Like, the AP poll is so insignificant in college... like. In the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about getting into the tournament and, you know, the actual quality of a team, like, the AP poll is pretty worthless. But it's still nice just to see, like, a 10-0 Horn Frog team getting some of the credit that it deserves at this point. Um, well, especially where you look at where this program was two years ago. Right. Like, throw us a bone, Seth. The nice Come thing on, is, Seth. is Seth Davis's opinion means nothing because unlike the college football playoffs or even a, to a degree the NCAA baseball playoffs, if you win, you're getting in. Yeah. And it, it doesn't really matter the seeding to some degree. Like, you don't want to be a 16, obviously. But if you're a Power 5 program that's making the tournament, you're probably going to fall somewhere between, you know, a 4 and, and a, a 12. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, again – you know, I think that, that Parker did a really nice job in his post, his polls post this week, in, in saying that I don't know that TCU is the 14th best team in the country right now. Yeah. And, and this feels a lot like it parallels kind of the football team. There, at no point did any of us really believe probably that TCU was the fourth best team in the country, but it was nice to be recognized for their accomplishments. And TCU is absolutely unequivocally, based on the 10 games they've played so far, one of the top 25 and should be rewarded for that because you can say, well, you know, Kansas has a couple of losses, but they lost to Power 5 programs, but not good ones. <laughs> so, no. I mean, no. your losses have to hurt just as much as your wins help. And the Frogs don't have a loss. They've won all the games on their schedule. They have two nice wins over a good SMU team and nice a really wins. good Nevada team. Nice. Yes. And so give them a little bit of credit. You can't leave them off of your ballot completely. That's just completely ignorant. It is. Like, it's just For ridiculous. For someone paid to watch basketball. Paid. Like, real money. To watch not basketball. Bitcoin. Not Bitcoin money. Oh, not crypto coins. Uh, so let's look ahead, though, because TCU's got two non-conference games left. And then the Big 12 season gets underway. And it, like, when I say the Big 12 season Whew. gets underway, it gets underway for TCU. And, and there's really no bad team in the Big 12. I think only one has more than two losses at this yeah. point, if any. Uh, last I checked, there was still every Big 12 team had two losses or fewer. Yeah. And every Big 12 team had at least seven wins. As of Tuesday when I or Monday when I posted the uh, weekend war zone, there was no more than two losses. And the only team that's played a game so far is Texas did li- lose to Missouri. But I think that was, that or, was their uh, to Michigan, loss. but it was just their second loss. Let's see here. Oh, no. Texas is six and three. That was okay. their third loss. Oh, Texas, there's Come Texas on. once again bringing the conference down. Shaka might get fired, yo. It's going to happen. Mohamed Bamba, though, is legit. Yeah. That's going to be a fun matchup, TCU and Texas, when you see Bamba against Vlad and Hamdi. It's going to be fun. But, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Banging in the paint. Yeah. Yeah, so TCU, I like – there are two uh, non-conference games remaining. 
are against a, a 0-9 Texas Southern team. And I don't know their record because I haven't paid any attention to them yet, William and Mary. I can't imagine that they're very good at basketball. So, I mean, realistically, TCU is going to be 12-0 and yeah. when they get into that first Big 12 game. And that first Big 12 game is really going to show us where they are right out of the gate. Because Trey they're Young is playing host man. to Oklahoma on December 30th. And they have freshman Trey Young. Ooh. Who, you know, you posted today about Desmond Bain being uh, listed as one of the most exciting players in college basketball. Trey Young was also on that list. Yeah. The dude is absolutely electric. Could have gone to Kentucky. Could have gone to Duke. Stayed home and went to OU. And has more than lived up to his billing. Um, This Oklahoma team. Is he a one and done? Oh, yeah. He's a one and done. Yeah. For sure. I mean, this Oklahoma team isn't great. They're not bad. But he elevates them to, to say, scary as hell. Yeah, they beat. They've got some good wins already on their schedule this year. They're seven and one. They've already beaten uh, USC. They beat Oregon earlier in the year in that Nike tournament. Uh, they, they've got some big, impressive wins under their belts yeah. already. They lost a game to Arkansas that they should not have lost. No. But other than that, yeah. I mean, the Sooners are going to be in it simply because of Trey Young. Yeah, because he can score 30 points a game with ease. Uh-huh. Like, you're going to be thankful to hold him to 20. It's like, when, it's like when TCU played Washington in those two games last year, and you're looking at Markel Fultz, and you're like, okay, this dude's going to get his, which is probably going to be close to a triple-double. And in that second game, the game at, uh, at TCU, he did have a triple-double. Yeah. TCU still won by, like, 30 because the rest of the team around him was hot garbage. But, you know, in this instance, Trey Young has bodies around him that are yeah, capable. Yeah, he's got, he's got a couple of really good, nice players around him. Again, yeah. it's not the scariest team that you're going to play in the conference, but it's probably the scariest player. And so it'll be interesting to see if yeah. TCU uses kind of that same philosophy because Dixon was so smart in how he game-planned against Markel Fultz and that same thing. We're going to let him get his points. We're going to shut down everyone else around them because it's, because the Frogs can put up 80, 90, 100 points because Oklahoma team's defense is not good at all. Yeah. Can I, they let can Fultz get 40 and the Frogs win by 20? I, I don't think they're going to win by 20, but I, I think it'll be interesting. It's a good challenge. Dixon is such a smart coach. They have guys with length that can bother him. You know, Alex Robinson doesn't have the size, but he's so quick defensively. Desmond Bain has the size to really bother him. And, and like we saw late against SMU, you can always go with Kendrick Williams down the stretch. Yeah. And, and he just makes it really hard to get around him. And that's where I think the Kawhi comparison really yes. comes into play. Because Kawhi, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's your elite player, Kawhi's going to be on him late. Yeah. And, and that's and the same, way, same quicker. thing with Williams. He's quicker than Kenny. But, but yeah. Kendrick is going to get faster. He's gotten faster all four and years. And he's just so long. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have smart. to have elite lateral speed because yeah. he's smart and he's got length. Yeah, he's so smart. So, so that's a fascinating matchup. I know that's over the break. Um, yeah. So a lot of the students are going to be gone. But that's one that I cannot wait for. It's a 1 o'clock game on a Saturday. It's, um, you know, it's right before New Year's, New Year's Eve. So you've got time. It's after the Alamo Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a game that I'm looking forward to. Oh, 100%. Um, the, so there's uh, an article. I can't remember where it was. It was, like, on ESPN or somewhere talking about uh, when all of the remaining undefeated teams would lose, and it listed, like, specific games, and I think one of them already happened. I think it was, like, Mississippi State lost when the article predicted that they would or whatever. But uh, this article also said that TCU would lose in their second Big 12 game of the year, which is when they go down to Waco, and they play a Baylor team that is incredibly young but incredibly talented. Sure. 
Baylor is 7-2 on the year. They're ranked 21st overall right now. They have some incredibly good wins over teams like Wisconsin and Creighton. Uh, but they also have some really tough losses. They lost to Xavier already this year. Man, they hung in with Wichita, uh, Wichita State before finally dropping yeah. that game by single digits uh, just last week, I think, or maybe a week and a half ago. Um, like I'm telling you, you look at this, this Big 12 schedule and you're like, okay, well, where are TCU's guaranteed conference wins? Maybe one against Texas, probably two. You're like, okay, last year they beat Texas Tech twice. Well, Texas Tech is 7-1 and one right now. They've also beaten Nevada. It's like, okay, maybe Oklahoma State, who's 7-2 and two, and has given a lot of good teams run for their money. Uh, okay, well, Kansas. Oh, Kansas is 7-2. and two. They look like they're one of the worst teams in the league. No, they're <laughs> Kansas. Maybe Iowa State. Yeah, like, Iowa State is significantly down this year. They lost Hoiberg a couple years ago. Now they lost all of Hoiberg's recruits or finally cycled out of that but system. But they also have one of the most exciting players in the country in Lindell Wingington, yeah. who's a Canadian freak. It's like, okay, so are, is TCU going to get their wins against Kansas State? Yeah, Kansas eight. State's not very good. I mean, they're 8-2. and two. Sorry, Grant. They're not very good. They're 8-2. and two. Oklahoma State's also beat not very good. We'll see. I mean... Obviously, non-conference is going to prop teams up. It propped TCU up the year that they were 13-0 and and then won two conference games when they reached Big 12 play. But just looking at this schedule and looking at the, the gauntlet of teams, if TCU goes 7-9 and in Big 12 play, I think they're still a lock to be like an eight seed in the tournament. Oh, for sure. For sure. If they go 7-9 and and they win a game in the Big 12 tournament, they're in. You get to 20 wins, yeah. you're in. This, this TCU that. team with this schedule is in with 20 wins. And think about that. That's one more win than they had in conference last year. Yeah. That's it. Like that, and I, I realistically think that's how close they were to making the tournament last year, oh, too. Oh, for sure. I mean, they weren't one of the first four out, but you, I think they were next four. You beat that West Virginia at home. Yeah. You're probably in the, in the tournament. And that game came well, you out. still got to take care of business other places. But yeah, yeah, but, that's but like, if, that if you add out. that win... To their yeah. schedule, they're probably in. That the, stands out. The difference between last year and this year is that last year the Frogs were such an unknown. People expected Jamie Dixon to make an impact, but they did not get the benefit of the doubt in March because they started nowhere. This team has built positive momentum here in December. They have a couple of signature wins under their belt. They head into Big 12 play with a lot of positive momentum. They have the veteran leadership. They have the young, exciting players. They score a rate that makes them an attractive watch. Yep. They're going to have a national audience. They're going to have a big Monday game against West Virginia. And the other thing that you're going to have, too, is that you have a fan base that is just itching to you know, put football behind them after the Alamo Bowl. We're all very excited for that. But, but just once that happens... These TCU fans and students are ready to jump in and fill that stadium, get it rocking. And it's going to be, I think, an environment where this TCU team is an attractive add to March, not a, eh, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I feel about them. And I think that's the biggest difference this year is that you're looking at a team that's going to head into Big 12 play ranked and should be able to hover in that top 30 to 35, even if they suffer a couple tough losses. Just because Um, of who they're losing to at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned stadium strength, like strength of the crowd and all that stuff. That stadium was probably 70% full for the SMU game, and it had a good portion of SMU fans in it. It still got loud loud in there at the end of that game the last couple minutes because the students really – and Dixon has commented on the students just throughout the season so far – just commenting them left and right, and they've been fantastic. Students have been fantastic. Adults you need to get better. Just let yourself be a student for yeah. two hours. Don't cuss and be an idiot, but I mean you can cuss. But just a don't bit. don't throw stuff and be a jerk. Yeah. But 
just allow yourself to get loud and get rowdy for a little while. Yeah. Well, and, and get there. Yeah. You know, you're going to have an opportunity. Most of the kids are on break, so we should see some great crowds here in the, the open up Big 12 play. I know Kansas right. will be packed. What will be interesting this year is Kansas going to be packed where it's normally 40% Kansas fans. Is it going to be 70% TCU fans? Hope, one can only hope. I think so. And I will say this. There are so many benefits to going to a TCU basketball game. Like, first of all, it's kid-friendly. Yeah. It's not like a football game where it's like, okay, well, we're going to get out there. It might be five hours. It's going to be hot. Kids are going to be complaining half the time. Like, it is a two-hour commitment. Unless yeah. the Big 12 refs In and out. really suck it up on any given day. It is a two-hour commitment. And sure, some of the weekday games are kind of late, but it's a two-hour commitment. Yeah. Get out there. Well, and it's not overly expensive. There's plenty of room for the kids to, to run around. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great yeah. environment. The students are awesome. The team is really good. It's, it's worth being out there and supporting them, and it's something that we need to do. Basketball doesn't have to be a filler between football and baseball anymore. Right. This is a team that, that deserves our support. And, and on that note, this women's team is really good, too. Yes. Amber Ramirez is phenomenal. Stupid phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Like WNBA quality. Yeah. Like th- this is a yeah. kid that you're going to want to have seen. Not, and I say that to myself. I've not been out there yet. But you're going to want to say that you saw this kid play because you'll be watching her over at UTA here probably in two or three years when yeah. she's playing in the WNBA. Yeah. She's ridiculous. She's Yeah. She's a freak. And yeah. that's a that, real cheap day with the family. Yes. And it's afternoon games. Like, that is very, very yes. family-friendly. That's that's a team worth your support. Reagan yeah. Pebbly was recruiting at a really high level for several years. The class they signed this year is ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. But, it, but it wasn't translating to wins, and it seems like she has finally gotten her third, fourth year under their yeah. belt, and now they're able to put together her system the way she wants it run. They're still recruiting at a high level, but now they're playing to match that level. Yeah. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be com- really competitive in the Big Twelve this year, in a, in a Big Twelve conference, and frankly, in a in a women's basketball women's basketball landscape that is not largely competitive from top to bottom. Sure. There's not a whole lot of parity. I mean, you have your like upper 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 echelon of UConn. teams. Yeah, maybe Stanford is on that list. South Carolina. Recently, maybe you could put Notre Dame and Texas A and M on that list. Tennessee's back. And then beyond that, though, there's a there's a yeah. good space to to sit right in that like yeah. you top can be, ten you can go to twenty five teams. Yeah, and, yeah, and make some noise. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. They're going to be fun to keep track of too this year. Um, again, this is the Frogs War podcast. Let's reset here, and it is Wednesday night currently. Probably not Wednesday night when you're listening to this, but we are at University Pub for Pint Night. Pint Night is great. But Wednesday nights aren't the only night that you should come out to University Pub. They've got movie nights on Monday night. This week, they showed The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is one of my favorite holiday movies of all time. It's great. Tuesday night, every week, they've got trivia starting at 7 o'clock. It's totally free to play. First two teams get cash prizes. That's pretty awesome. Uh, And then, yeah, Wednesday night, pint night starting at 9. Obviously, the podcast is here starting at 8. And extended game day hours. Uh, you know, football season's over for the most part now. At least home games are. But basketball season is going to be the same thing. And it's an easy Baseball walk. Baseball season's going to be the same thing. It's an easy walk. We've made it. It's a nice, quick stroll from the university pub over to the athletic side of things on TCU's campus. So make sure that you're supporting your local university pub because it's a fantastic place. And we love it. And you should, too. Preach. Word. Speaking of things that we love and that we're looking forward to. Hooray! This is a huge week coming up. This is a week we've never experienced in college football history. Yes. We have a chance 
as TCU fans, I feel that that few feel more vulnerable than we do on signing day. And we have a chance to get some of those kids signed on the dotted line next week, starting a week from tonight, which is Wednesday, six days from tomorrow when you'll be listening to this. Yes. So if you have been living under a rock for, oh gosh, I don't know. 18 months now and haven't paid a single lick of attention to any kind of college football recruiting, you probably have missed the fact that starting on December 20th for 72 hours until the 22nd of the month, uh, recruits are allowed to sign. So instead of the traditional first Wednesday in February being like the national signing day with all of the TV channels tuned in to these high school kids across the country doing their hat ceremonies or pulling puppies out of bags or ripping off a shirt to show another shirt or putting these five-minute videos together that are really poorly edited and narrated, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, They're doing their best. They're 17. Um, You've got an opportunity to sign, hopefully, the majority, if not everyone, on, on your commit list in December which is just absolutely massive for schools like TCU. Because if you're a TCU fan and you've been following recruiting for the last several years, you've noticed that uh, TCU tends to uh, watch those big guys uh, draw things out until the very end and then say, oh, we're going to go to Texas. Or, oh, we're going to go to Texas A&M. Or, oh, we're going to go to Ohio State uh, with uh, the unnamed linebacker from last year. Um, And so now schools like TCU have an opportunity to say, well, sign with us in December. If you're committed to us in December, why don't you just go ahead and sign on the dotted line? Like, if you're really committed, you should sign. And and, uh, Bud Elliott is a really, really awesome recruiting analyst for SB Nation. He's the managing editor of Tomahawk Nation, which is Florida State's uh, team site, but he also does a lot of recruiting for the mothership. And he interviewed a ton of coaches. This came out on Tuesday of this week, December 12th. Um, He asked a bunch of coaches about how they're going to handle the new early signing period. And he said, generally, the overall strategy is the same. He said, almost to a T, every single coach that he talked to about early signing period said, this is the main signing day now. Yeah. And we expect to sign every verbal commit we have. So essentially what we've seen now is that the window has moved up. And so everybody that doesn't commit or doesn't sign on the dotted line from the 20th to the 22nd now, like, first of all, as a recruit, your options are probably more limited if you're not one of the you know, top 150, 200 players in the country. And if you're going to be verbally committed to a school and not sign... Now, what's that really say about your commitment, and does that give a university an opportunity to take some of their power and leverage back and say, oh, okay, well, if you weren't willing to commit to us on December 20th, we're going to find someone who's willing to commit to us on December 20th. Well, the other thing it does in that regard, too, is it it takes a kid who is maybe a three-star and plays the same position as a kid who's maybe a four-star, and they say, hey, if you want to sign... Like, let's go. Early, let's sign and tell the three-star kid, well, you're going to wait till February. Yeah. Just to see who they get. So so it does, I think it does put a lot of the power back in the hands of the universities while still giving the kids plenty of opportunities to kind of make their own decisions as well. Um, it also can have the reverse effect. Yes. And that you can have a kid super committed and verbal and pledged for days and weeks and months, and all of a sudden, TCU and Chad Glasgow go to visit him. Yep. And he's 
waiting to sign until February. February 7th. And that is happening with a pretty big-name prospect here that the Frogs are, are heavily in pursuit, and that's a linebacker by the name of... I don't know if it's Aaron Brule. It is Brule. Yeah. I was hoping it was Brule. He's from New Orleans. It's yes. Brule. It's Brule. This is true. Yeah. Uh, yes. So let's talk right before we get into who uh, the, some of the potential flips are and all this kind of stuff. Let's talk about a guy, a guy who already flipped to the good guys. Oof. Fabian Franklin, uh, wow. four-star running back out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, was committed to Mississippi State with all of the coaching transition there with Dan Mullen leaving for Florida. A couple of the other coaches have left. You know, they've got Moorhead now in from Penn State, kind of creating a new system there and all this stuff really uh you know was there was start, an opening there was an opening uh and so curtis looper goes in does curtis looper Oof. things loop does uh, he's, uh, we could talk about who our best recruiter is my vote is on curtis looper but he goes in he offers this kid seven days later he comes on an official visit to tcu commits flips to tcu from mississippi state which is really nice because tcu just lost a commitment from a running back uh, Tejon Henry decommitted from TCU. He picked up a Texas Tech offer today, so that's oh, something good, to look good. at. Yeah, uh, good for him. But they're different style backs, and yeah. if you're looking at the recruiting class that TCU has currently, and you're looking at their roster after this season, TCU is in need yeah. really of another bigger back. And Franklin fits that mold. He's five eleven, almost six foot tall. He's about two hundred and ten pounds. He's a bruiser. He doesn't have like elite top end speed. But he's a guy that can run it up the middle. He's and Darius Anderson. If you look, well, he's bigger than Darius yeah. Anderson. He's bigger and he's stronger. He's not quite as fast, yeah. but he's bigger and he's stronger. He's really built almost in the mold of Shewo. Like he's but about faster the same. Than he's, about, he's faster than Shewo. He's about like Kyle Hicks. Yeah. Like he's the same size as Kyle Hicks. Probably has about the same foot speed. But he's about twenty pounds heavier than Hicks came in at. Yes, he's he's Kyle Hicks now. Yeah. Where Kyle Hicks came in at 5'11", 190 or yeah. whatever it was. And so you get a guy in Franklin who is a, a phenomenal athlete, who's a bigger back, which they needed in this class. Uh, that's a fantastic addition. Yeah, you hate to lose Tejon Henry. And I'm sure those two but, things were related. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that they aren't. I definitely think that they are. But you've got Henry who's like 5'8", yeah. 160, and something like that. And you've already got Kennedy Snell. And, and you've I got Tay that's... Barber. And you've got one more year of Kevonte Turpin. You have a lot of guys that yeah. look like Tejon Henry. You don't have a lot of guys... To look like Fabian Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do want to say, I loved Henry. I was a huge fan of him from day one. He was a great recruiter for TCU on social media. He seemed to really, really love the Frogs. I really hope he lands on his feet. I'd rather not be at a school we're going to play annually, obviously, because I do think sure. he's super talented. But um, you, you hate to lose a kid who was such a, a positive force for you in the mm-hmm. recruiting tail. But at the end of the day, he was going to have a lot harder time getting snaps at TCU than he is somewhere probably like Texas Tech or Iowa State, which also is pursuing him heavily. Yes. Or wherever else he's going to land. Yeah, he was down to Iowa State and TCU yeah. before he committed. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him turn back around and yeah. go to the Cyclones now. And that would be a really good place for him to land. Um, yeah, so TCU's class is sitting at 20 right now. We talked a- about some of the top-end guys in the class last week, like Justin Rogers and Tavalence Hunt. I ask you every single day, tell me, Jamie, it's going to be okay. And Justin Rogers is going to sign when he says he's going to sign. It's going to be okay. His signing day is December 22nd, so don't freak out on the first second of the early signing period when he doesn't sign. He's got a whole, like, signing ceremony happening on December 22nd. His mom's been tweeting about it for forever now. She's awesome. Uh, and uh, he's signing. He's going to sign with the Horned Frogs. He, you know, and here's another thing that should make you take comfort in, in me saying that. He's coming on his official visit this weekend. Okay. He's coming on his OV this weekend along with Tavalence Hunt. Oh, 
who's just oh. an absolute monster. And, and did you see his his uh, his All American? Yes. This the kid video is that they did? amazing. Yeah. This, this is the type. This is a Josh Doxson level character. Quality kid. guy. Yeah. Just and, and hopefully soon to be a Josh Doxson level player. But we won't uh-huh. put that on him. But what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, he's going to have the kind of impact off the field yeah. that Doc had. That that guys like. Um, uh, a road scholar, Kalen, Kalen, Kalen Moore. Moore. Yeah, yeah, guys like that. I mean, this. If I mean, his story is unbelievable, and his character is through the roof. Yeah, it really is. And you know, he, um, yeah, he's just a fantastic kid, and he is shot through the roof as far as his like recruiting ranking has has, you know, gone this season. I mean, he had such a breakout senior year that he went from like a low three star in most ranking systems to like a legit. Yeah. four-star kid across the board. And he loves TCU. And, and he loves TCU. He's going to sign early. Uh, but he's also going to be here this weekend uh, with Rodgers and Atenza Vongor, who is just a monster safety out of South Grand Prairie, who we talked about a little bit last week. Those are some of the guys uh, that are going to be here visiting this weekend that are commits. You've got some other guys that are committed that are going to come in. I think I saw Esteban Avila tweeted that he's going to be here this yep. weekend. Eddie Smith said he's going to be here this weekend. Um, I think Darius Davis said that he was going to be here this weekend as well, another cornerback commit for TCU. Um, But beyond just the guys that are committed, here are some of the non-commits that are also going to be here this weekend. Tell me if any of these names uh, are appealing to you, Melissa. Aaron Brule. Very appealing. So let's talk about him for a second. He's currently committed to Georgia. He was pretty high on TCU... Gosh, four or five months ago, over the summer, he and one of his really good buddies, Jamar Chase, looked like they were going to be TCU commits all the way. Obviously, you had the NFL Network commitment snafu with Jamar Chase. Idiots. He took a step back to reconsider things because, you know, you're 17, something weird like that happens. It's, you know, it's okay to just stop and reconsider and think. He committed to Florida for a while. A lot of turmoil yeah. happened at Florida this year. Smartly decommitted weird, from Florida. <laughs> weird things were happening with Jim McElwain down and there. And sharks. And sharks and stuff. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's backed off of that commitment now. Um, but when he committed to Florida and when he backed off of TCU, it seemed like Brule did the same thing as well. Uh, and he ended up committing to Georgia. And now, um, you know, he was playing. I, he tweeted like a week ago that he was excited to sign with Georgia on the 20th. And then last night, TCU gets in there for an official visit. Today he tweets that he's waiting until February 7th. There are some rumors from Georgia people that he might be getting, uh, the word is processed, like in, like somewhat similar to what's happened with Tejon Henry, where it's like, hey, if you have other options, maybe don't close those bri- don't burn those bridges quite oh, yet. Oh, to be able to do that with four star players. Right? And so uh, <laughs> so that might that's a rumor I, I can't confirm that. I haven't talked to the kid, but Well, there also just might be bitter that a kid is looking at TCU that's committed to Georgia. Hey, you never know. But anyways, he's going to be on campus with his good friend Jamar Chase Ooh. this weekend. And if you put those two guys just in a room, you know, I I would totally be okay with TCU taking like the same approach that the Clippers took with DeAndre Jordan a couple of years ago. Locking you in the get room. you get Brule and Jamar Chase and another big name who's visiting this weekend, Jay Sean Corbin, who's a running back out of Florida, four star running back, and you get them in a room, preferably either the Twitter verse room that just got built, or ideally the awesome kind of game lounge room. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get them in there. 
with Justin Rogers and Tavalence Hunt and Atanza Vonger. And then you just kind of casually close the door when they're not looking and chain that bad boy yeah. up. And then you have uh, Vongor, Hunt, and, and Rogers just kind of sit down and say, you're not leaving this room until you commit to TCU. Like, I would, I'm, a, I'm, I'm totally cool. okay with that hostile takeover do strategy. You, do you think, and this could be completely unrelated, but do you think that there's any chance that Isaiah Graham announcing he was leaving has something to do with maybe Jamar Chase deciding that he's coming? Uh, I don't know. I don't, know that I, I don't know that I would tie those two things together. I think Graham looked at the fact that in two seasons here, he's had eight catches for 80-something yards. He sees all of these freshmen behind him right yeah. now, especially uh, Omar uh, Manning, yeah. who they're basically the same size. Yeah. Uh, and Manning is probably a better wide receiver than yeah. him. And you've got guys like better Tavale- route runner for sure. You've got guys like Tavalence Hunt in this class. Yeah. Uh, you've got some other wide receivers in this class too. You've got a six four guy in uh, John Stevens Jr. who is probably going to play wide receiver here. Um, I think he just saw the depth and yeah. realized that he probably needed a fresh start, sure. and, and so well he, he stepped else. away. And you can't really blame a kid for sure. reassessing after a couple yeah, of no years problem. and saying, you know, things aren't working out the yeah. way that I he thought wants they to would. Play. He's highly uh, you know, rated recruit. We had, a, we had a comment. I, I wrote a quick post about Graham transferring, and I put it on the Facebook page today, and someone commented. They were like, man, it seems like this happens to TCU every year. Like, this is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's really not. Like, yeah. attrition happens all across the country. You'll see teams lose a couple guys to transfer, and you'll see guys gain a couple kids to transfer. Don't forget that Josh Doxson transferred in from yeah. Wyoming. Don't forget that John DR's transferred in from LSU. You know, and you've got guys like, uh, Kenny Hill transferred yeah. in from Texas A&M, and so it just it happens. Kids are allowed to change their minds. Well, you know, and the difference now is too is that you're looking at a TCU team that five years ago was recruiting two and three star players and right. finding new positions, and so those kids weren't going to leave. No one else was fighting for them. Now you're recruiting three, four, and potentially now some five star talents. People are going to want those guys, and, and don't think that coaches aren't in their ear saying, "Hey, you aren't getting catches, you aren't getting touches. Come oh, wow. over here, we'll help you out." Like that stuff happens, and and it's right for the kid if they believe they have the talent and they don't see an opportunity, then they have every right to go and pursue their craft somewhere else. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, some other guys that are going to be coming in this weekend are uh, Derek Turner, who is a 5'11 safety out of uh, West Francisville or St. Francisville, Louisiana, another boot kid. Uh, who's pretty high on the frogs? Uh, the, the rumor there is that he's, you know, he's leaning TCU. It would be a shock if he didn't commit to TCU this weekend. You've also got a linebacker commit out of Klein Collins, who's currently committed to Houston, and Donovan Mutant, uh, who is an inside linebacker. He's a big kid. He's already six one, two thirty, so he's a bigger linebacker. Kind of fills that uh, Ty Summers role at linebacker. Um, who is visiting this weekend and who just got a TCU offer. And by all accounts, I mean, he's, he came up for a couple games this year already, and by all accounts, he's really high on the Frogs. How many spots do, does TCU have left to fill? So they've got 20 commits right now. Um, Graduating and, and 30. Well, so the, the, cap, the cap every year for a recruiting class is 25. Okay. You can't go over that. Um, but there is a, a small loophole. If you have guys that are enrolling early, they count towards the previous class. So TCU has three of those guys right now. They've got Justin Rogers, I believe uh, Tavalence Hunt is an early enrollee, and Bryson and Jackson. Bryson Jackson, who's the dual dual sport baseball football guy. Uh, so those three guys are going to enroll early, I believe. And if they all enroll early, they count towards the 2017 class, which means you essentially open up three more spots. So it looks like TCU's at 20 right now, 
but really they're probably at like 17, which means you've got some room here to play with where you've got, you know, eight spots left for some of these bigger names. You're, you know, they're, they're making a push for Keandre Coburn, who's a big defensive tackle who's committed to Texas right now. He's listening to TCU. They were in his house last week. Patterson went down there and, got, and visited with him. Um, you know, you've got Jayshon Corbin, Corbin from Florida. You've got Brule. You've got Jamar Chase. Like, you've got names that you're going after to fill those spots. But if you're TCU, you also have space now for that late February signee that TCU is known for, the two-star Derek Kindreds of the world. Yeah who come in and are like, oh, well, that's like a cool guy that fills out the class a little bit. And then, oh, you mean that guy's the starting safety in the NFL now? That's pretty sweet. Uh, and so TCU's got probably eight, maybe seven or eight spots that they're working does, with does right Does that now. count Antonio Ortiz, who made his commitment today, a long snapper oh. out of Virginia, who, signed, who said that he was joining the class of 2018 here about four hours ago. Is he a scholarship kid? Um that's not listed, uh, but I mean he's a long snapper, so I could see a situation to where maybe he's not like he's a, a full. Gray shirt he or could something. be a great shirt. Either way, like I mean, that. so say that say that they did give him a scholarship offer, which is you know a, not a unreasonable thing to give to an offensive lineman. He, he does have a um, four four one GPA, so he could also be an academic, academic scholarship. Kid, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, even if that's the case, then you're talking about them being at eighteen and having seven yeah. spots to work with. So there's still some wiggle room there, and you know. You need a good long snapper sure. like that. Yeah, because you're losing a great one in Lucas Gravel, who's yeah. been a revelation this year. He's been fantastic. Have you ever heard Gary Patterson speak so highly of a special teams guy? <laughs> Never. Like, he's, he, he loves this kid. He didn't even talk kid. about Jaden that much. No, he loves this kid. And, that, I mean, that just is a he's testament a he's a to his, his ability. Um, but, yeah, so this is a really big weekend for TCU as far as recruiting goes. Early signing period coming on the 20th. There are a, a significant number of kids that are expected to sign early. I don't know if TCU is going to get their whole class nailed down on the 20th. And, and, you know, this is the first year that this is happening. So teams are going to feel their way through this. Players are going to feel their way through this time to see really what works out best for the university and for the recruit. Sure. Um, but it's, it's definitely an exciting time being, you know, less than a week now out from the first early signing period in college football history. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, so I saw a note that you put on our run sheet. <laughs> I'm not sure if you saw this And story. so I went and searched about it on Twitter. Um, Jeremy Curley. First of all, did not realize that Jeremy Curley had been sat for four games. Oh, yeah. Had, didn't hit. miss that. I'm in like a dynasty, dynasty league where your rosters are 28, 29 players deep. And he was like my eighth receiver or something. And I saw that little red S pop up next to his name five or six weeks ago now. Uh, yeah, so Jeremy Curley got suspended. He's with the New York Jets now. Uh, got you know got hit with the PED suspension. Four games. It's pretty standard in the NFL yeah. for your first-time offender. Also standard is being completely shocked. The, the supplement What's, you were taking that you thought was legal. Yes, but what isn't a standard is what he told media today about how the PEDs got into his system. <laughs> you, 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 you came up with this, so you read his quote. So... As many of you know, it is the Christmas season, and a staple of the Christmas season is the wonderful A Christmas Carol, in which the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future are. What you don't know is that leading up into Christmas Eve, when those ghosts have nothing to do, apparently they're running around tainting the urine of NFL players. And as Jeremy Curley told a reporter today, I don't know, a lot of ghosts around here. Ghost put it in, you know, 
the ghost of Christmas past. Jeremy Curley blamed the goat. ghost of Christmas goat. past goat. for being suspended goat. for goat. performance and enhancing, enhancing drugs. It's epic. I couldn't. I didn't know that I could love him any more than I Go already did. Go frauds. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, you do you, buddy. Hey, I'll tell you what. For a guy who was highly thought of as only a kick returner, he's made quite he's the been a great made quite the career out of being he's that number number too. three wide receiver on a team. He made a lot of money. But yeah, man, like I at love least, it. At least, like. A better excuse is just saying, I didn't know what it was. Actually, you know what I kind of prefer is that hopefully this was said a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And at least he kind of sounds like maybe yeah. he's owning up to it more just than saying, I don't know what my trainer gave me. Reading text yeah. is different than, yeah. Sure. Yep, but hey, if you're going to just make something up. Yeah, that's pretty good. Be clever. Ten points for creativity points for Jeremy speed. Curley. That's awesome. Uh, let's get into questions. We've got a significant number of questions tonight. A lot. Um, first, who coined the... T- this is going back to the TCU-Baylor game. Who coined the term revivalry? No idea. I don't know. Somebody. I like it. I think it's fun and catchy. It's okay. It's going to be a fun game again in about two years. I'd rather, like... I, I don't know. It's fine. It's okay. It is what it is, and it's probably what it's going to be for the near future. So, yeah. yeah. Own it. Goes to Christmas future. Um, another question... Other than giving the uh, three-star rating in the Apple Store, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't give us a three. Give us a five-star rating. We have earned it at this point. I'm sitting here in December on the 13th at the, the front door of the pub, and the front door is open because it keeps locking on people. So give five-star rating. At least four stars just for sitting here in the freezing cold doing this. Um, What's another way to boo the podcast if we can't be in Fort Worth? Just email us with just email. an audible boo. We'll play it. Hey, you know what? You know who's taking emails now? Because he's big time is Mason. Mason got a hate email <laughs> earlier this week. Thank so you, you send whoever hate mailed Mason. Send all your correspondence to Mason. Yeah. Do it. He is a uh, pretentious frat boy or millennial or whatever he was. Yeah, something. He is something. Uh, next question. About the bet. About my my Oklahoma bet. What was the end result? With no footage of the one-chip challenge, I assume you went double or nothing. I did not go double or nothing. Here's the deal. To purchase a chip for the one-chip challenge, it's like 80 bucks. We need to go fund me. So if you want me to do the one-chip challenge, people, you're going to have to kick in a couple bucks. Ooh. I will do it. 100%. We'll do the one-chip challenge. Don't just have $80 laying around for the one-chip challenge. Yeah, you're, you're about to be a father, too. you got to yeah. start pinching Kid pennies. number two is coming in less than a month. Yeah, you want two kids that are going to want to go to TCU someday. you got to start fine. saving. And you're, a, and you're a pastor. Yes. So <laughs> I'm totally in. Hey, our heckler oh, just handed a me a dollar. We got our first dollar towards the one-chip right. challenge. We now need $79. Please, um, I will kick no. in some money here too, but please, I'm, people, I'm I don't to, like to beg for money. I'm but willing I really to pay for a little bit this. of it. I'm willing to pay for like 40, 50 bucks of it, but like, like let's be re- reasonable people here. $80 is a lot to spend on one tortilla chip. Everybody come to the podcast next Wednesday, our signing day extravaganza, and bring a dollar. Oh, oh I was going to say, it's yeah, going to no, happen no, next we're Wednesday. Do, okay. Yeah, bring a dollar. We're not going to do that to Jamie before the holidays. Well, here's the thing my kids come in January 5th. Oof. We might have to do a special edition. Yeah. Live from the delivery room. <sighs> but yeah, so I'm down. I will do it. I made a bet. I lost the bet. I will do the one chip challenge. We'll I mean, figure I mean, it out. I mean, that's not rest. technically the bet, but. <laughs> I'm doing the one chip challenge. Cotton, that much cotton will kill me. I'll do the one chip challenge. There's your answer. Um, here's a good question. 
Um, it's kind of a long one. You take this one after I ask it. When will TCU have made it, or have we already? We're in a Power 5 conference, but some would argue that it's the least stable of the Power 5 conferences. We've come close multiple times to smelling a national championship, and last one won in 2012 with Rifle, but we still haven't won a big one. Overall, we're ranked below SMU and U.S. News, but the profile of the program has increased. If we haven't made it yet, how will we? And as an institution, how will we know that when we have made it? I mean, I think if you're a TCU fan and you're dissatisfied with where we are, that's a personal problem. I, I don't know if we've made it on the national scale, but I think TCU is in a Power 5 conference. They have a great head coach across all the major sports. They win a lot of games in a lot of places. They, their teams, Other teams want to play. If you want to cross one more thing off your list, I don't think you have to win a national championship to make it. Yeah. But I think getting into the playoffs here before Gary Patterson's retirement would go a long way to cementing the Horn Frogs as a perennial top 25 power. Yeah. That being said, I think there are a couple other things that could happen. I think baseball has made it, but if they win a national championship, that puts them over the top. And if TCU can make a run to, say, the Sweet 16 this year, Again, it's, if, you're, if you're looking at it as a TCU fan, if you're looking at it locally, regionally, TCU's absolutely made it. They've had a more successful yeah. run than Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, pretty much everybody but Oklahoma that you're going to look at regionally. Yeah. But in order to get it nationally, you have to play meaningful postseason games. And the NIT run was great for TCU fans, but it meant nothing nationally. You've got, yeah. to, get, you've got to go and win meaningful postseason games. The College World Series, unfortunately, just isn't a big draw. Yeah. It's got to be basketball. It's got to be football. I would argue for football, they are already nationally known. Even probably, I, I think their national respect is larger than the respect that they sometimes even get in it's the true. state of Texas. That's probably true. Just because of A&M and UT having been, you know, it for so long, the, that in the state of Texas maybe our perspective is a little bit warped. But I think national. I mean, just look at TCU's recruiting class this year. They've got all of these kids from Louisiana. They've just got a recruit uh, commit from Mississippi. They've got a kid from Florida visiting this year, or like this weekend. They've got kids that are committed to Georgia visiting this weekend. They've got a commit from Washington, Washington who Virginia. has a Washington offer. Yeah. You know, last year you had a kid from California commit. So I think the national perspective of TCU is maybe even a little bit more favorable than the in state perspective is at, at this Probably point true. in time. And, and for baseball, I mean, baseball's there. Yeah. 100%. Like, they've sure. been the best team in the state for a decade. They've been a and top they've been the best five team in the country. Type, yeah, one of the best teams in the country for almost as long. Basketball is it's going to take some time. But I think it's a quick rise once they start sure. rising. If you make a sweet 16, your profile immediately becomes national. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I think it depends on what you mean by made it. And, and I think one of the things that was put into this question as well is the academic ratings. And I, one thing I do have a lot of respect for TCU is as they've increased their profile academic or athletically, they haven't taken away from their academics yeah. either. You know, you're seeing big changes go into the Neely School and the nursing program and the engineering program and the sports journalism program. Those are all highly rated programs nationwide. And, and keeping TCU to be a great institution, not just an athletics factory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's a really, really good quality about about the Frogs. Um, all right. In your opinion, what is the worst thing TCU alumni could do, thinking in terms of, like, Aggie Pride, Baylor Wine, UT, Greener Syndrome, blah, blah, blah? I don't know. Just, I, I guess, act start acting like entitled Aggies or Longhorns. Yeah. 
That's that, what I was that thinking. deserve that, that we're great because of our name, not because of what we've accomplished. Because if I hear one more time, well, if you look historically from an Aggie especially, but a horn as well. going to lose it. Again, like, yeah. this is an instant gratification society. I respect the history of those two. Pro- well, A&M doesn't really have a history, but I respect Ooh. the history of the Longhorns. But at the end of the day, like, I care about what's happened in the last 10 years, not the last 100. Yeah, I think that's right. I think remembering where we came from yeah. is important. I think as long as Patterson's here, we're not going to have a problem sure. with that. But I've, uh, you know, I've already read, and it's interesting, like the the demographics of who's saying some of the entitled stuff, yes. because I've seen it start to pop up. It's like I'm I'm early 30s, but I still, I mean, I was in college when our first yeah. year in the Mountain West happened, and so I remember, you know, vividly having those 12 and 1, 13 0 teams, and people saying eh, similar things to what people are saying about Central Florida this yes. year, and just how furious that made me. Uh, so the fact that TCU is 12 and one now and got left out of a college football playoff like that sucks, and it, I was pissed about it at the time. But you know, I just I cherish it really more than yeah. I mean, more than anything else. It, and you know, that kind of brings up a point too. Going back to the last question, really quickly, TCU will have made it when Gary Patterson retires and the frogs Ooh. don't fall off the cliff. Oh. <sighs> That's a ways away. We don't have to think about that yet. I'll be really old. Let's not do that yet. Let's just move on to the next question. Would you rather have a coach that won a national championship that resulted in an asterisk or a team with an argument left out? Uh, This is easy for me, and I've said this time and time again, and everybody thinks I'm a liar, but at the end of the day, I'd rather run a clean program that loses one or two more games a year than run a dirty program and have the titles. I don't want – I care about the TCU name. Not the TCU football team at the end of the day. And I love that the football team, despite the mistakes that have been made, Patterson time and time again has proven that he will handle missteps with class and with grace and and generally the right way. There's going to be – you have 100-and-something players on a football team. They're not all going to be choir boys. Right. But it's how do you handle – when you hear bad things, when you find things out, how do you handle that? I mean, RG3 was on uh, Wingo and whatever the new Mike and Mike is. This morning, and they asked him if he knew what Josh Gordon was doing while he was there, and he said, "Yeah, we all knew." And and I would, and if you, if, I would hope to God if that was happening at TCU, that Gary Patterson, the man and the father figure, yeah, would have done what he did for Casey Paul Hall, and went and got him help as opposed to keeping him on the field to win football games. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm with you there, and you know, it's, it makes it a lot easier uh, to talk trash uh, when you don't <laughs> have to walk it back four yeah. months later. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Uh, we've got we've got so many questions, and we're running pretty long here. So let's hit one or two more, and then we'll roll these other ones over into into next week. Um, did you know that UTEP has twenty one national championships to its name? No, I looked it up, and they are correct. In what? Six in men's outdoor track and field. Okay, that's legit. Seven in men's indoor track and field. Okay. Seven in men's cross country. And one in men's basketball. Did you know, do you know the team that holds the most national championships across all collegiate sports? Is it Arkansas? Because no. of their track and field stuff? No. Who is it? It is the Stanford Cardinal. Hey, nice. They have won more national championships across every sport than any other program in the country. Legit. Who would have thunk it? Legit. Uh, last question. Uh, this is a good one. Heard that Gary Patterson's contract extension had a clause that made it uh, uh, the buyout contingent on Chris Del Conte's remaining, uh, remaining as athletic director. Is there any truth to this? Uh, blah, blah, blah. So the contracts aren't, like, void now. Schloss and Dixon and Patterson are still under contract with the school. 
Um, but their buyouts all were contingent on Del Conte remaining the athletic director and Victor Bashini remaining the chancellor. And the reason for that, Patterson explained this a little bit to Mac Engel in the Forward Star Telegram the other day. He basically said uh, that it's one of those kind of trust things where it's like as long as the guys that are here uh, who we have that working relationship with, who we know, who we respect, like as long as they're here, that's fine. But when they leave, it makes it a little bit easier if those buyouts are voided for the coaches to say, you know – this next guy coming in, maybe we don't really jive with them. Maybe we don't really, you know, respect them very much. We're going to look for another gig. Maybe it's time for us to make a move as well. Uh, just it, it eases the burden on the coach and any new school at that point. Um, Patterson also said there's really nothing to worry about, which I believe him. There's really nothing sure. to worry about. Um, and realistically, none of those three guys had these massive buyouts that were going to prohibit other schools from coming in and hiring them away. It's one of the it's one of those loyalty and trust things sure. that Patterson has had and Schloss has had that Dixon has pretty much been gifted automatically is that, you know, we trust you to be here and to do your job, and if you find a better opportunity, let's talk about it. Give us an opportunity to maybe match or, or give you a, a significant raise. Um, Which is something that has happened. the athletic director didn't do. Yeah. So, you know, it's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, with, if, if there was any other coach, I'd be worried about it. The, the, the fact again, that it's those three. The yeah. only guy that I think gives TCU fans pause is the baseball coach. And that's just because he's so dang good, yeah. and there are some other really tempting programs out there. But at the same and, well, time... And there are some obstacles to being in a school like TCU when you're not a full scholarship program. Right, when you're one of the most underfunded sports at the collegiate level, being a private university. We can have a whole podcast about that. I can yeah. talk about that for an hour about just how much of a disadvantage TCU players are because of the amount of money that they have to play. The fact pay. that schools like Virginia and Vanderbilt and TCU are successful as they are in baseball is a real testament to the uni- those universities' investment in it. Yes, yes. And, and the coaches and recruiting that goes on. And if you look at all those mm-hmm. three programs, those coaches have all been there for a really long yeah. time. And Schloss had something to say about that on Twitter earlier this week. I don't know if you saw this, I but... I forget who it was. Some national uh, media person tweeted about the $69 million in buyouts that coaches had received at Power 5 schools this year. I'm talking about how maybe that could be distributed uh, a little bit more fairly to the kids who are earning those people those dollars. Um, and Schloss clapped back with a little bit of how about we take uh, those, that $69 million and uh, give it to the most underfunded sport at the college level. So it's something about like $10,000 per student yeah. like could have been given they give uh, yeah they give yeah. like 11 and a half scholarships for baseball yeah, and, it's, and a, it's a team of 25 generally not including red shirts and gray 30, shirts 30 I think total yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah it's I mean it's incredibly underfunded uh, which I think means all the like it, it just boosts Schloss's resume even more Absolutely. just his credentials are through the roof and, uh, and about, a lot of credit goes to the families that commit to a school like TCU without getting a full ride, too. Yeah, and, it, I mean, it helps when, like, uh, one of the kids committed this year who ended up signing with the pros was Luis Gonzalez's son. Like, it helps if your dad was a pro sure. player for 15 years. Sure. But not every kid has that luxury. Yeah. A lot of, that's why you get good academic kids. That's why TCU's always near the top right. in the academic ratings in the yeah. Big 12 because they can give them academic money. They can give them yeah. FAFSA. But that's, I mean, again, if you said we could talk about this for an hour. If you want to look at where these kids are coming from, if you want to look at minorities, if you want to look at lower income areas, you aren't get, those kids are not getting an opportunity to play yeah. collegiate baseball 
because they just don't have the finances. It's that's all again, whole yeah. other issue. No, we, we need to do is it, and once the off season comes in the summer, we need to get Jeff Olson in here to yes. sit down because he is a very big proponent for paying paying college players. Uh, and I want to get him in here and pick his brain. Maybe he can come to the pub one night for sure and and do that kind of conversation with us. But uh, our time here is basically run out. Uh, because we try to keep this a reasonable length of time for you all, so you'll come back again next week. Um, if you don't already, please subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Podbean. We're pretty much anywhere that you can find us uh, fr- from a subscription service for podcasts. Uh, but if you go to iTunes, please just take a minute, fill out a review, give us a star rating. If it's three stars because you couldn't boo us live, I guess that's fine. Um, but remember that I'm going to eat a very spicy chip at some point soon. Um, and just, you know, generally we like your feedback. Uh, we do this because it's fun. We do this because yeah. we know that you listen and enjoy it. And so thank you for listening uh, every week. Loyal fans, you're awesome. You're rock stars. We couldn't do this without you because then it would just be like two people recording a conversation for no reason, and that would be really weird. Um, but this has been the Frogs War Podcast live at University Pub. We will be back next week, December 20th, again at 8 p.m., uh, for the opening of the early signing period. Woo! Hopefully we'll have some Great signees news. to talk about at that point. That'll be really cool. Um, so come out next week, December 20th at 8 p.m. at University Pub and join us. This has been the Frogs of War podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treibwasser. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. Go frogs.